Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I'd like to just do three things together this morning. First, three short stories bound together by a common theme. Second, read a passage of scripture and make some comments on it. And third, another story, a Christmas story. And once we've done those three things, we will, in the words of my good friend Jerry Winslow, declare victory and go to lunch. So first of all, Three short stories. Story number one, Wyatt. Wyatt was a high school student. He attended the local Adventist church. He grew up in a time when Adventism was quite legalistic. There were many rules, strict enforcement. There wasn't much wiggle room in either direction. But Wyatt was a teenager like any teenager. Years later, he would remember that night, that night they were in their cars out by the lake, that night when a friend produced a bottle. He was one of the first to swig from the bottle. That fiery liquid burned its way down his throat and into his heart. He decided right then and there he had found a new friend, a good friend, a good friend that he would visit with many times over the coming decades. It was the beginning. This new friend of Wyatt's helped him in many circumstances and situations. For example, it gave some peace and ease to his heart when his parents were engaged in their constant, not just bickering, but outright fighting and yelling and screaming. It was a soothing friend, a soothing comfort when his girlfriend, the love of his life, broke off their relationship. He promised her he would change. He promised her he would stop seeing this other friend. But she wouldn't relent. She said, you're not the same boy I started dating. He went home that night and sneaked his bottled friend into his bedroom and found solace and comfort. Time and again over the years, that was Wyatt's story. He's not sure when he crossed the line, but he clearly crossed it. That invisible line that moved from his friend being the solution to many problems to being the problem itself. From being a comforting friend to being a jeering enemy. His life spun out of control. He didn't fully realize just how out of control Until that Saturday night, he came to, came to in a bed, in an emergency department. Having no recollection of how he got there, really having little recollection of the previous days, almost a week. It was then that he realized he was in dire 
straits. Rummaging through the, the closet of his mind, he remembered a pastor from years before when he had attended church. Somehow, the emergency department was able to find the contact information, and the pastor came. And Wyatt poured out his story. But the words that gripped the pastor the most deeply were when Wyatt shared his deepest fear. Pastor, he said, it's out of control. I can't stop. I've had two friends die of alcohol poisoning. I'm staring death square in the face. I have no hope. That's story number one. Story number two, Donna. As Donna thought back on her wedding day, she thought back on a magnificent day where her parents had splurged. It was a splendid event. All the friends said so. But now as she thought about it, she wondered, how could I have been so blind? I knew that, that he had a short temper, a short fuse. I knew that. But what I didn't know was the rage that filled him. Oh, she had learned. In the subsequent years, she had seen it and experienced it, the white-hot fury, screaming and yelling rage, pounding tables and putting fists through walls rage, threats and violence at other things rage. In the early years, she had matched him step for step, anger for anger, but she soon stopped. Her anger was no match for his fury. When push came to shove, literally, she decided to withdraw. She withdrew into herself, withdrew into her professional life, withdrew into her career, withdrew into her work friends. And that's where she met him. He was the solution to her problems. It started innocently enough, catching each other's eyes across the meeting table, lingering conversations after the others had left, accidentally bumping into each other. When the affair began, Donna thought, I've never experienced love like this. But when it was discovered, there was a cataclysmic eruption. You would think she might seek help, but it wasn't Donna, but her husband, her angry, furious husband. They weren't church people. I mean, they had gone years before, but he somehow found a pastor, asked if he would talk and listen, and then this grown man wept like a baby. Pastor, can you please ask her, plead with her, you're my only hope. 
Tell her I'll change. Tell her I'll become who she wants me to be. Tell her we have something worth saving. Please, Pastor, I have no hope otherwise. That's the second story. And the third story. Jimmy was a normal kid, except maybe for his love, love for technology. From the first time his parents permitted him to have a phone, he was trapped. As the years would pass, it would be the smartphone, it would be the tablet, it would be the computer. He was always in them. I know, I know, you're, you're not supposed to say, use overgeneralizations like never and always, but listen to Jimmy's friends, listen to Jimmy's family, he's always in them. He would disappear, shutting out the world around him. His parents, very worried. They hoped that maybe college and a new start and new friends would help. Jimmy got to college, his first act was to ask for a room alone. That was his wish. Cost him some money, but he got his wish. And his wish became his curse. He disappeared into that room and seldom emerged. Well, that first quarter, he, he would go to classes at times. But he was always aloof, always alone in that room. Other students hardly noticed him. They, they, they would see that slovenly figure slouching across campus, uncombed hair, unkempt clothes, vacant eyes. His teachers became concerned looking at their class list and realizing he's not attending class, reached out to the dean. The dean tried unsuccessfully, administration. We gotta do something. They finally reached out to Jimmy's parents. And Jimmy's parents wept. We don't know what to do. We had hoped this college would help. Where do we turn? We've almost lost hope. So there you have it, three stories bound together by the common theme of a loss of hope. Now, I can almost hear what you're saying from there on your couch, you're saying, Randy, what kind of stories are those to tell at Christmas? This is the Sabbath before Christmas. What kind of stories are those? Why would you tell such sad stories? Well because that's how many approach Christmas, without hope. In fact, to go all the way back to the beginning, the first advent, that's the reality time and again of how humanity approaches this story, the advent of Jesus with a loss of hope, turning somewhere to try to find hope, a reason to go on. The stories of Wyatt and Donna and Jimmy, they're the stories of many people. 
In fact, their stories are composite stories. Composites of stories I have read and of lives that have touched mine over the years. But they're stories that are as true as any story I have ever told. A loss of hope. Three things I want to do today. The first, three stories, three short stories. The second is read a passage of Scripture and comment on it. It's found in Romans chapter 5. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to gather here in this living room. I'd like to invite Wyatt to come in and sit down and Donna and her husband to come, Jimmy and his parents to be seated, and you. You who are struggling with a loss of hope, come on, there's a place on the couch for you. And I just want to read this passage. Listen to its words, Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's an arrestingly simple passage with a profoundly deep meaning. It's the kind of passage that which if you read it thoughtfully one time, you get the message. But it's the kind of passage where you could seek to plumb its depths for the rest of your life and never fully exhaust it. There are any number of pieces of the passage on which we might focus our attention. We could start with that first statement. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. What a wonderful message for Christmas. But that's not our focus this morning. Or we could loiter around those words. We glory in our sufferings and say, what kind of statement is that? But that would give us a glimpse into the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And we could even take our time with the words that state that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. And we would emerge from that pondering with a deepened yearning for the Holy Spirit in our lives so we could more deeply experience the love of God. But even that is not our focus this morning. No, our focus this morning is hope. And hope is woven throughout this passage. Three times Paul talks about hope. You caught it. There at the end of verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verses 3 and 4, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And even verse 5, and hope 
does not put us to shame. In other words, hope does not disappoint us. Hope is woven into the fabric of this passage. Paul is saying for those who have needed to be reconciled to God, there is abundant, robust, vital hope. And God offers it to you. In fact, he says, you can here experience the great exchange. His hope for your hopelessness. I love that. I love considering the fact that in a fractured world, on a ruptured planet, where people's hope has been blown to pieces, that God says, give me that hopelessness. Take my hope. But I do have a question. Reading something like this, is almost too good to be true. And I want to ask, where's the catch? What is the basis for this hope? Is hope really extended to Wyatt and Donna and her husband and Jimmy and his parents and, and, and you and me? What's the basis for this hope? Well, Paul has heard our question because in the next three verses, he answers. Back we go to Romans 5, this time verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the basis for our hope. The fact that Christ acted, that Christ acts when we don't deserve it. Twice, Paul says it in these verse, verses. Verse 6, when we were still powerless... That's when Christ acted. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ acted. While we were still sinners. While Adam and Eve were still stitching together the leaf covering. While David was still scheming how to cover his sin. While Jonah was still sailing in the opposite direction of God's will, while the words of betrayal were dying on Peter's lips, while, while the prodigal was still mired in the slime of the swine, while Wyatt and Donna and Jimmy and maybe you, we're still sinning. Christ acted. And because of that, He offers to us the great exchange. Your hopelessness, says Jesus, for my hope. I was caught by the way 
the message paraphrase render those last three verses. Let me read it to you from the message. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get, anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice, but God put his love on the line for us, offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Did you catch those two lines? Far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready while we were of no use whatever to him. That's when Christ acted. That is the basis of our hope. Our hope does not come from getting sober, from getting straight, from, from cleaning ourselves up first. It does not come from that. It comes from the fact that when we were mired in sin, Christ acted. And so now, he offers us a great exchange. My hope, he says, for your hopelessness. And for anyone captured in the prison house of sin, that's the good news of Christmas. Three things I wanted to do together this morning. Three stories, a passage of Scripture, and finally, another story, a Christmas story from a prisoner, from a real prisoner. In fact, a prisoner who at this point, when the story occurred, was in confinement. I think they called it solitary at one point. His name, Roy Borges. I want you to hear the story in Roy's words, so snuggle up there on the couch and listen to Roy's words. Locked behind the razor wire fences of a Florida prison is no place to spend a holiday. I'd spent 15 Christmases under these less than festive conditions, but this year my situation looked even bleaker. I was stuck in confinement, a prison inside a prison where the supposed troublemakers are sent. In reality, anyone can find himself in the hole by irritating the wrong person. Because I was going to be locked in a cell 24 hours a day through Christmas, I figured nothing memorable could happen. Beyond a five-minute shower three times weekly, there wasn't much to look forward to. In a way, that Christmas was like the first Christmas. 2,000 years ago. Most people went about their lives paying bills, cooking dinner, traveling to and fro. A few shepherds working the late night shift got a spectacular celestial show from some angels who proclaimed glory to God in highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And some wise men, Eastern Magi, had begun their journey to Jerusalem looking for someone called the king of the Jews. 
But for the rest of the world, it was just another day. No holiday music, no discount sales, no trees with lights. Christmas night in confinement, alone in my cell. I read in my Bible about Paul and Silas, who were also inside a prison. Despite their miserable predicament, they were praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners listened. The lights went out and I stared at the ceiling from my bunk, wondering if I could praise God in the midst of my circumstances. I could hear a mouse nibbling on some crackers I'd left out for him. Then suddenly I heard a voice come out of the vent above the toilet. It was Andrew in the next cell. Merry Christmas, Roy, he said. Merry Christmas, Andrew, I replied. You know any Christmas songs, Andrew asked. Yeah, I know a few. I'll sing one if you'll sing one, he said. What should we sing? Joy to the world. And he sang every verse. I sang the chorus with him. Then it was my turn, and I chose Silent Night. Then he sang, O Come All Ye Faithful, and I answered with Feliz Navidad. I have another song, Andrew said, and sang, O Holy Night. Silence filled the quad as everybody listened. It was a moment I'll never forget. It not only reminded me of Paul and Silas, but it made me realize every day is Christmas when God has arrived. It wasn't just another day. And I wasn't alone. Emmanuel was in confinement with me, in my cell, blessing me. You might be a prisoner today, a prisoner without hope, without God in the world without faith in the future. Your name, well, your name might be Wyatt, or Donna, or Jimmy. The details are different. The circumstances of your story are otherwise. But that punchline is you. I have lost If that's you, Emmanuel is in the cell with you. Emmanuel is blessing you. And Emmanuel is saying, please, give me your hopelessness. Take my hope and enjoy the joy of the great exchange.